Episode 14, Patrick and Cyprian discuss experiments that reveal the mysterious nature of the quantum world. Topics covered include light polarization, single molecule fluorescence, nanoscale electrical conduction, and the Stern-Gerlach experiment. Welcome to Entangled Things, your quantum computing podcast, hosted by Patrick and Cyprian. Hey, Cyprian, how you doing today? Hi, Patrick. Very well. Thank you. Ready for a new Entangled Things episode. I am too. And, and you're going to do a lot of the talking on this one because we're going to talk about um, something that's near and dear to my heart, which is the experiments that show the weirdness, as, as, which is probably not the best, most scientific way to say it. But we're going to talk about those, those things that illustrate the quantum effects that we're trying to exploit for quantum computing. And you've picked four. Uh, and they're, they're certainly, I know, I know two of them that you've picked and you're going to reveal the others to me as the show progresses. Um, one of the things that I, chi- I try to stress when I'm teaching this and I'm talking about it and we've done this when we've done it together is ways to illustrate it to people that I can actually show. And so there's not many, you need a light, you know, need a laser, you need to send a stream of atoms or that's kind of hard to do, you know, in front of a projector. But there's one of them that we're talking about, and when we get to it, I'll, I'll talk about how I demonstrate it and stuff. But, but what is the list of the four that you'd like to talk about on, on the show? Yeah, so, you know, Patrick, we've discussed multiple times about uh, uh, trying to understand uh, the, the, the why in, in, in quantum. And uh, the, the simple answer to that is, is don't understand the why. Reality is that ever since quantum uh, mechanics, quantum physics, and lately quantum computing, uh, as well as quantum information theory have uh, uh, become like a a vivid field of of research, um, we got to the point where we understood that um, That we we need to trust. uh, uh, Yeah, first and foremost, we understand that we don't understand. And second, we need to trust the... Uh, uh, results revealed by experiments, right? And that's how actually the whole field of, of quantum was was born out of uh, experiments with weird results. So um, as we discussed uh, through the, the, the previous episodes, right, um, I felt the need for us to have kind of like a, a dedicated episode where we would discuss uh, a few of these experiments. And as you said, there are lots of them, right? So uh, it's it's even difficult to pick uh, a few of them. Uh, I picked four for today. One is uh, like the elephant in the room, so to speak, the, the, the polarization of light. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one is a more modern variant of the double slit experiment. Uh, and uh, it's 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 an interesting variant because it it actually um, uh, involves uh, electrons rather than than, than light. Uh, then we have a third one which I find very very interesting. It's the scientific name is single molecule fluorescence. Basically, uh, in plain English, is uh, lighting up molecules, and uh, it's it's a fun one. I I, I like it. And then the fourth one that I've, I've, I've chosen for, for today is one that demonstrates some weird properties of something we call the spin of, of, of particles. Mm-hmm. Uh, the scientific name is the Stern-Gerlach experiment. But in a nutshell, this demonstrates that um, particles have 
a property which is generically called spin. Think about like if you th if, if you imagine a ball that is is rotating, right? That 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 rotation is is the spin of those particles. And what that experiment demonstrates is that the the values, the intensity, so to speak, of that spin can only have certain values. And and that's again like very weird. Yeah, that's that's why. In fact, yeah, that's right. That's how the name quantum came to life because it became apparent that, for instance, levels of energy and things like that, they, don't, they do not come in a continuous spectrum, right? They, they can only have certain levels or quantas. So that's how the, 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 the term quantum was, yep. was coined. So let's, let's, let's start maybe with the first one. Okay. Right? My favorite, uh, which yeah, it's 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 your favorite. So I'll let you introduce it. Actually, okay. So so the experiment is, um, you take polarizing linear polarizing filters, and if you take a linear linear polarizing filter with a random source of light, like a projector, and you hold it up, it cuts out fifty percent of the light waves. And and the reason it does that is because it's blocking anything that's not polarized in the same direction. So what we think about is light is polarized in any random direction, then the polarizing filter only allows the light or the portions of each light that's aligned with the polarization. So you cut effectively half of the of the light out. So if you have random light from a light source like a, a projector or the sun, you're going to get half the light. And that's how sunglasses work. So everybody's familiar with this. If you take a second filter and a third filter and a 5,000th filter and you put them all in the same orientation, it's still 50% of the light gets through. It doesn't change anything because they're all still filtering out the same non-polarized light. But if you take one of those filters and you turn it to 90 degrees and you have an ideal full, you know, full polarizer, you've got a really good one. Um, no light gets through. It's black. So if you take two polarizing filters, put them at 90 degrees, that's it. It's done. No, no light gets through. And that's expected. That's normal. That makes sense. It's classic, so to speak. Exactly. <laughs> if you take another filter, after, let's say you take one filter at, you know, up and down and one filter back, you know, back and forth, 90 degrees, uh, and you block all the light. So I do this in, in my, my demonstration. I'll show the projector in the room and I'll show people that no light is getting through or, or virtually no light because I don't have idealized filters. And I take a third filter and I put it before or after the other two filters at a 45 degree angle or 22.5 degree angle or any angle, quite frankly, it has no effect. All of the photons are blocked by my two filters. And it doesn't matter whether I add one or a thousand filters after it or before it, it doesn't affect as we would expect. Again, we're still in the classical world. Things still make sense. However, if I take that third filter and I insert it between my other two filters at a 45 or really any angle, but 45 is where I usually start, suddenly you start seeing light come through. And, and the way that classical has tried to explain it is that the filters are turning and rotating the light. But there's really no evidence for that. There's a law called Malice's law that that can calculate how much light will get through, but but as far as I can tell, it's not based on any proven 
behavior. It's just, it just is a good prediction based on sine and cosine functions. Um, so the question then becomes, okay, well, how can putting another filter in that's just taking light away? It doesn't, doesn't change the light. doesn't, doesn't do anything to the light. How does that allow light through? And, and so what that, that the way I interpret it from the quantum perspective is that by putting that filter in, you're causing a observation. You're causing a measurement of the polarization of the light and therefore it's changing its behavior. Yeah. Did, did I, did I get that right? It's, 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 it's actually an amazing kind of uh, consequence, right? And, uh, Although it's it's totally counterintuitive, it in terms of quantum, it actually um, uh, it it ends up with this explanation. Well, you are actually doing a measurement, and and what happens is if as you add more and more filters at different angles between the original two, it gets brighter and brighter, more and more light passes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's it's crazy. So. For for our listeners, um, just to, to clarify a little bit this concept of polarization, right? Think about a, a beam of light, right? That that travels like on a on a straight line, right? And uh, it actually is never like a straight line because that's uh, if you think about the, the the properties of of light as being a wave, there's there's wobbling, right? With with a certain phase and a certain frequency. Now, if you think about like. A, uh, that that beam of light right traveling along a line, then the wobbling, the the direction on which the wobbling happens, right? It's it's a loosely kind of loose explanation, but it's 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 intuitive. The direction represents the polarization. So think about uh, a photon going on a straight line, but wobbling, let's say along the uh, uh, y-axis, and then think about another one wobbling along along the x-axis, right? If you had so, a Think of it this way. If you had a jump rope between prison bars and yeah. you tried to, you know, w- wiggle it up and down, it would work. But if you try to wiggle it back and forth, it wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so that's the polarization. Yeah. These are the, 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 the different kind of directions of, of, of polarization. And there's, there's another very, <clears throat> very, very interesting uh, uh, kind of uh, consequence of this. Um, and in the language of physics, we typically say that if the um, order of two different uh, experimental observations will not change the result, then the observations are said to commute, right? So they are commuted or commutative observations. Yeah. And what, in general, what is fabulous about quantum is that in general, while in, in, in regular physics, right, um, most experimental observations tend to commute. In quantum, it's exactly the opposite. Most experimental observations, they do not commute, right? Like, for example, as you mentioned, Patrick, it really, the orders in which you apply those filters really, really matters. Because if you put, like, 45 degree in front and then zero degree and 90 degree, there's no light passing through. If you put zero, then 45, then 90, actually light will pass through. <laughs> right. So that's, that's, that's like uh, at, at the general level, this is, this is like a, the a most weird kind of, of, of property of experiments that, that happen in the, in the world of, of quantum. So that's the first one. 
<clears throat> and that's a great yeah. one. And I recommend people don't get circular polarizing filters to try this. You need linear polarizing filters. I've made that mistake. Um, Meaning like straight lines, right? Yes. That, that filter yeah. like vertical polar. Uh, yeah. A lot of times when you buy li a linear, yeah. when you buy a lens for a camera, it's typically a circular polarizing filter and it, they're not talking about the, the, po the, 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 the shape of the filter. They're talking about how it filters light. It's not going to work the way we're talking about. But if you get yeah. linear polarizing filters, um, then it's really easy to demonstrate this. And then you can draw your own conclusions. There is a little bit of a controversy here. There are people who are like insisting that the, the light is rotated and, and that's a potential explanation, but it doesn't seem to be a good way to prove it. And quantum would seem to argue for the opposite side of that argument. Um, so yeah. let's move on to the next one. What's the second? Yeah. So I am thinking let's split the well-known ones with the, let's say, maybe less known, at least to, to maybe to our audience, uh, experiment. So the second one I want to talk about is something called the single molecule fluorescence. And it's, it's, it's really, really interesting. Usually it's, it's done with, with sodium atoms. And, and the way this works is you will have a chamber with sodium vapor at very, very high pressure, right? So that's, that's kind of easy to create. Well, easy in terms of it's, it's achievable in, in, in lab. And then you have a small nozzle, right, um, mm -hmm. through which you allow those 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 sodium uh, 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 to to kind of go go out, and then at a certain distance from this this nozzle, right, you put a a, a screen that has like a very 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 small uh, area through which uh, uh, those uh, sodium atoms can go through and. This whole thing actually gives you an almost kind of unidimensional beam of sodium atoms, right? So sodium atoms are traveling in a straight line almost one after the, the other. And the more that the finer is the, the kind of the, the better is executed the whole device, kind of the, the more close to ideal is, is the beam of atoms. And the 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 whole kind of purpose of this is to get like a linear beam of atoms. Think about individual sodium atoms that are traveling right uh, in a straight in a straight line, and this is where actually the experiment actually starts. So what happens is think about like the atoms are going through and they are going in a line, and then on one side you have a very, very fast laser. And what you actually do is you shine light at a certain angle on, on, those, on those atoms. And then a little bit further down, you have a screen, a detector. And what you are detecting actually is the light emitted back from the sodium atom. So think about it like this, like super simplifying things. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, an atom travels straight, gets a photon from your laser, and after a certain point of time, emits that photon back. And you detect the time taken from uh, getting the photon until the photon is released back. So just like think of it, you're traveling and I don't know, you're going on a bike and you have a basket in front of your bike. I'm throwing a ball in that basket. You realize I've thrown a ball. You take it with one of your hands, you throw it out. I measured the time 
that passes between the moment I put the ball in the basket and the moment you take it out and throw it away. Okay. Right? Now, the whole purpose of the experiment is to make sure that these atoms are as close as being identical as possible. And as I said, they travel in a straight line. They all are sodium atoms. They all have pretty much the same level of uh, kind of um, uh, atomic excitation. So it's, it's very, very close to ideal. What do you think happens with those times that you, you measure? And obviously the laser is always the same. The laser beam is very fast, so you can kind of uh, uh, fire that laser thousands of times per second, right? So it's, it's super, super quick. So basically the overall conditions um, that each of those uh, uh, sodium atoms is exposed to are largely the same. What happens with the measured times is actually they are always different. And it turns out- Which is that counterintuitive. It's totally counterintuitive, right? It's totally counterintuitive because what you would expect is that that interval of time would be kind of between like two very narrow margins. Like think about my analogy with the bike, right? You, you would expect that, I would expect that when I throw the ball, you see it, you take it, you throw it. Maybe you will do it after, well, the first time you will do it after five seconds, and then you will do it after uh, six seconds, or sometimes you will do it after three seconds. But usually what I'm expecting is that you will do it, let's say, between two and maybe six, seven, eight seconds, right? Right. In reality, it turns out that if you do a large enough number of measurement. And remember, that laser is super fast. So doing a very large number of measurements, like in the millions, tens of millions, is actually quite, quite feasible, right, right? Right. It turns out that you get a distribution of those time values that is very loose on the on the on, on the boundaries, right? Most most of the values start, so the largest value, like the most of the time you will see something that is between um, uh, two and four nanoseconds, but you will see also situations where that goes well, 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 well beyond, beyond that. And, and that is very, very, very weird because basically it tells you identical situation, identical inputs, the reaction of that sodium atom is wildly different okay. from every single measurement. So, so how does that illustrate quantum? Well, it actually illustrates in, it's, it's one of the great illustrations of the uncertainty principle, right? That's, that's why I, I, I picked this experiment and that's why why uh, this 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 is this is great because if you are are interested in knowing if if a system in this case our system is an atom right if you are interested if that system is in 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 a given state right um, the best thing you can do in quantum is find the a probability for for that for that state mm -hmm. like this translates in our story is if you would like to know whether, let's say, 
the time needed to throw back the photon is between, let's say, 10 and 20 nanoseconds. The best you can come up, no matter how many times you do the experiment, no matter, no matter how sharp all your, your measurements are, best you can come up is with a probability for that. You will never be able to tell exactly, like, yes, every single time these atoms take between this and this. So this is an example and, of the uncertainty principle. Yeah, and what's amazing is that there is a non-zero probability, for instance, for that to happen, for instance, after, I don't know, a hundred of seconds or even a million years. <laughs> hmm. that's, that, that, that's, that's kind of like the mathematic of this does not kind of prevent that. And it's, it's, and it's amazing, counterintuitive, right? And it's totally counterintuitive. It's, uh, right? It's, it's totally counterintuitive because you would not expect the world to behave like this. <laughs> right. Yeah. When right. you do when you do a chemistry experiment, experiment, if you put in the right amount of reactants, they react and you get the result. That's the right. whole idea of experimentation. Getting back. <clears throat> it's actually the definition of insanity. Trying diff the same thing over and over, getting, de getting different results. And, and uh, think about it, Patrick. If you take like a large enough number of sodium atoms into a classical chemistry experiment, right? And then you repeat that experiment over and over and over again, you will get the same result over and over and over again, right? Right. While in this particular experiment, it, it's, it's, it's provable, that's the behavior of an individual atom of sodium. <laughs> it's not going to be the same over and over and over again under the same conditions. <laughs> right, that's crazy. Right. It's it's I mean, it's like, yeah, whoa, <laughs> okay. absolutely crazy. All right. So so we we're up to two experiments. What's the third yeah. one you want to talk about? I think I know. Well, I know the third one, I think. Yeah. The third one is a variation of a classical one. So I would invite you maybe to introduce the, the, double the classical version of the double slit experiment. Absolutely. Yeah. So the idea with the double slit experiment is that that young was trying to clarify whether light was a particle or a wave. And um, we find out there's a duality there now, but he, he was still trying to discover and figure it out. So the idea was if I take a light source and I, and I shoot photons through that light, from that light source through a metal barrier with a slit carved in it onto a target where I can observe the photons, then when you have one slit, you get a, an image of the slit on the opposite side as if I was trying to fire little little pellets or golf balls or <clears throat> name your item. So there was a particle. It looked like a particle at the time. When you do one slit and you have a light source, it looks like it's a particle. If you add a second slit, it challenges the question of will the light particles going through the two slits interfere with each other, which would indicate more wave than particle. And so Lo and behold, when he opened a second slit in the barrier, he saw an interference pattern on the other side that indicated that light was indeed a wave. And so he wanted to find out a little more detail. So what he did was he, he adjusted his light source to fire photons individually. And he wanted to know, do the photons go through both sides? Is there something going on here where the, you know, the photon is splitting? and going through both at the same time. Um, and so he's trying to rule out some of these strange edge conditions that, that 
were potentially possible. And so we put a detector on one of the slits so that he could see if the photon went through the right one, the left one, or both. And as soon as he turned on the detector, the behavior of the light changed. And instead of getting the interference pattern, he got the two slits as if they were acting like particles again. And so this was the, you know, observation changes the measurement experiment. This is where things really got going with, well, how can this be, you know, wave, waves and particles? Sometimes it's a wave, sometimes a particle, that kind of thing. Um, that's the classical experiment as I've read about it and, and dealt with it. Yeah, and, and actually that was one of the experiments that led to the name quantum, right? Because the way those interference patterns, right, created, they were observed as quantas of light, right? And, and obviously the other one was the level of energy of electrons in, 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 in atoms. Now, um, one of the controversies that, that was born around, around this was that particular detector that you mentioned, right? And the, uh, the, the whole kind of logic around that controversy was that, yeah, obviously detecting a photon given, especially given the fact that the photon has no mass means that you're probably actually interfering significantly with the, uh, let's say the mechanical trajectory, so to speak, of that, of that photon. So in recent years, we have like a variation of this. And if, if I were to take like all-time favorites in quantum computing, not sure about you, Patrick, but the double slit is, is yes. my all-time favorite, right? Because it's not, not the only because it was among the first ones, but it's, it's, it's still kind of mind-bending. Right. So, uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, I, I was just going to say, I, it's, it's one that I would love to demonstrate in our talks, uh, but I don't think I can get a laser and, and get everything through customs. Um, so I, I, I rely on the polarizing filters and the imagination a little bit more. Oh, yeah, yeah. So turns out there is a modern time, well, so to speak, modern, right? Modern time version, uh, which is based on uh, nanoscale um, electrical uh, conduction. And, and the, the, the way this is... Uh, thought is instead of photons, it tries to use electrons. So what they did basically, think about, they, they have created like a, a sandwich. Um, in the middle, there is this thin layer of a, of a semiconductor, right? The semiconductor is basically a material through which electrons move freely, right? So think about like the, uh, the, the, the heaven of electrons. Right. And then this is sandwiched between two insulating layers. So the electrons basically are um, in something that in science is called a two-dimensional um, electron gas, right? So it's basically they only can move in, in the plane of that, of that thin layer of semiconductor. And mm -hmm. then what, what happens is obviously uh, if you attach a small uh, metallic rod to uh, uh, to to the uh, um, uh, to these layers, you can create basically a non-invasive source of electrons. So you generate electrons uh, in abundance in in this, and it also turns out that you can use some very advanced uh, uh, drawing techniques. They are called lithographic techniques mm -hmm. to deposit some 
materials on this surface that is negatively charged, which means it repels electrons. And if you do it like in, in a very, very kind of uh, 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 efficient way, you can actually create a very, very narrow slit through which electrons can pass, right? So it's think about it as uh, the modern approach where you can reduce the opening of those slits uh, significantly, right? right? Because you operate at, at, at nanoscale. Right. And this is why I love this experiment because it kind of um, eliminates most of those classic mechanics things that were associated with the original double slit experiment, namely the, the size of the openings and, and, and things like, like that, right? right? You, you can really create here kind of like, like nanoscale, uh, nanoscale opening. And then the other thing is, it turns out there is a, a certain type of microscope. It's called an AFM microscope, an atomic force microscope, mm -hmm. which... It, it, it has a tip that is much larger than, than an individual electron, but it can actually pinpoint the location of, of electrons with amazing accuracy. So not only that you have like, like nanoscale slits, you also have a super efficient way to, to kind of identify positions of the, uh, of the, of the electrons. So this this is what makes the experiment right the 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 modern version of the of the double slit experiment and then of course when you only have one slit and you 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 send electrons through it you have like the normal distribution uh, in terms of how many electrons reach the, the, a certain position it, it's how it's expected and then uh, obviously when you open the second slit you see that 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 interference in interference pattern that. Mm -hmm. You, you see you see as well. And then the other very, very interesting aspect of, of this is you can build that detector that you mentioned for, for the classical double slit experiment again in a much more efficient way. And because the electron has mass, right? You the, the impact of detecting an electron passing, is arguably smaller than the impact uh, of, of measuring the presence of, of a photon. So that's what, what also makes it, um, how should I say, much more credible, right? And the behavior is the same, same behavior. The behavior is exactly, exactly the same. So if you, if you open the detectors, then the interference pattern disappears. And that's, again, proof that's so at a whole different level, right, of... If you measure, you lose, uh, you lose, you lose state, right? Right. And then the the other thing is that if you activate both detectors, you will find that with certainty every single electrode passes through either uh, the first or the second slit. So right? they, so yeah, that disproves the theory that potentially the the, the electron goes through both slits. Exactly right. So it's 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 clear. It's it's or at least why we're watching. Of, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 kind of detectable and 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 it's it's uh, um, uh, uh, it's it's very 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 kind of kind of clear, right? So um, 
what's very interesting here in terms of the, the explanation is that um, observing uh, which is the slits through which the particle goes changes does not yeah does not commute with the other observation which is um observe its position after the the detector so again from a quantum point of view right we have two observations two experimental observations that actually do not commute <laughs> and this is the this is the explanation this is one of the explanations of of in uh, of the, the quantum explanations of why when you actually turn on the, the the detector that interference pattern disappears and you can see we have already kind of like a a pattern in itself i've mentioned that in quantum experimental observations in most of the time are uh, they are they do not commute yeah and and it's 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 if you think about it right it's like like amazing. And then obviously the other uh, thing that this, this experiment led, the original one, and this one proves, uh, is the, 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 the concept of, 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 the, of the superposition, right? In, 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 in fact, in quantum, the concept of, 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 of superposition is, um, uh, is, is, is fundamental. The original double slit experiment also led to the famous uh, Schrodinger's cat, <laughs> right? Thought experiment, which is uh, again around 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 so, super superposition. So maybe this is our escape hatch from AI killing us all, because all we have to do is once we get a super smart AI, is introduce it to the concepts of quantum computing, and it'll self destruct. <laughs> or it will learn them. <laughs> I don't say how it could. It doesn't make sense. It's not logic. Every every sci-fi has taught us that if you give it. If you give a paradox to a computer, it explodes. That's that's what sci-fi says. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's absolutely that's absolutely correct. That's and um, th that that's an interesting guy. <laughs> uh, that's an interesting philosophical question, which is: Could an artificial intelligence built on classical computers be able? to learn by itself the rules of quantum. Based on experimentation that it was fed and information it was fed. It's, yeah, yeah, I right. Think, I, I think I it mean, would- I think where, it, Where's the barrier between the worlds? I think it would end up <laughs> marking every quantum experiment as an error and just discarding it, <laughs> which is what we did for about 50 years because oh, absolutely. You know, a they, lot of people they, couldn't accept it. Exactly, and they were like, something is wrong with the experiment, right? right? This is not how nature works. Right. Bell's God does not play dice. God, bell's equality. So what, what is the last of your, your favorites, the four favorites? Yeah, the last one is uh, around another very interesting observable of, 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 of physical particles, uh, which, by the way, has been kind of uh, investigated in, in uh, uh, lately as a potential uh, way to build physical qubits, and that is... The, the, the concept of a spin, right? So, right. and that's mostly, um, uh, uh, mostly you can, you can see it around fundamental particles, especially electrons, right? The spin of an electron, like uh, super simplifying, think about, right? If you, if you throw, uh, let's say uh, a baseball, right? And 
when you throw it, it kind of revolves around a certain axis, right? It, it, it actually wobbles, but let's say ideally it will revolve a certain axis. That's, that's the spin, right? And then if you imagine that spin can go one way or can go the opposite way. So you have, let's say, forward spin and backward spin and, and things like, like, like that. It's, it's pretty easy to imagine. Yeah. Right. Because we, you can actually see it. It's but baseball. It, it's an artifact. Ball, whatever. It's an artifact. Yeah. We're not thinking. One of the things. It's very helpful. It gives us a way to to deal with things. It's cross cultural, but you need you don't need don't need to think about it literally. We don't believe that there's an actual directional spin on these molecules. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So again, think about it's an that aspect of them. Think about that ball rotating. Right. Yeah. And if I ask you, what do you think is, uh, what are the possible directions uh, and in which that ball can rotate when you throw it, right? Your immediate answer would be, well, depends on how you throw it, but physically, right, it, it, it could be in any direction. Well, it's infinite. It's every access in each direction of, on, of right, every access. Right, It's like, it's, it's obviously a possibility, <laughs> right? right? Right. Well, not so fast. When you go down to the world of quantum, right, this property is, the, the name is uh, 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 called angular momentum, mm -hmm. right? But let's, let's just uh, 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 school it, call, call it like easy spin, right? turns out that it is quantized. So it actually cannot take any possible value, but only certain values. And, and that's, again, something that kind of plays in the, the quantum right, mm -hmm. concept, but it's, it's, it's like, wow. And, and the way that this was proven, there is a famous experiment, it's called the Stern-Gerlach experiment, mm -hmm. It's, it's usually done with an atomic scale system, so you don't even need to go to go that down, right, uh, in terms of, of individual, individual uh, uh, electrons. So what you have is you create a, a beam of silver atoms. And, and the reason why, why, you use, why you use silver uh, 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 atoms is because they are one of the electrically neutral particles, right? So you, you, you send a beam of atoms in a uh, non-homogeneous uh, magnetic field. Like if you think about two magnets, right? Uh, and you kind of separate them by a certain distance uh, uh, and they face each other with their no north respectively south poles, that's, that's kind of a homogeneous uh, magnetic field because it will basically have the same intensity, right, uh, in, in any point. Now, think about the surfaces of those two magnets. Instead of being, like, perfectly plain, yeah. they, they have undulations, right? So they are uneven. Because of that, you will have basically an uneven, um, an uneven uh, magnetic field. And at the other side of this, you have a detector and then... With silver atoms, it's easy to detect where they, they end up because you can have a plate that, that reacts to, 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 their, to their presence. And what you would expect is to basically get kind of like a 
uh, continuous distribution with more intensity in the middle of the orientation of the beam and then progressively kind of fading out towards the uh, uh, towards the extremities, right? Right. Well, no. <laughs> of course not. This is, of course, right? This is not you, what you get. You will actually get discrete points of accumulation instead of, of this, this continuous um, distribution. And that's because the, the spin of, 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 these, of these particles uh, is basically influencing that. And why the spin, right? Uh, the reason why the spin influences is because movement, uh, well, so to speak, movement, right? generates uh, electromagnetic charge. And depending on how that movement is oriented, that electromagnetic charge will interfere with that uneven magnetic field and will kind of deflect that particle in, in, in certain directions. So it's easy to, to think that if that spin could take any value, right, you would see kind of like a... a, a continuous distribution of the uh, at the detector because it doesn't take any value right mm -hmm. it means that certain deflections are not possible hmm. so this 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 is again one of the uh, 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 one of the uh, um, uh, fabulous experiments the reason why i chose this one is because it also has a very important historical meaning right this was actually the experiment, the decisive experiment that convinced physicists, most of them at least, right, about the reality of, of this quantization of the angular momentum of, of, of particles. This is how we, we, we realized, for example, right, this was the foundation which led today to thinking that, you know what? The spin of an electron could be used as a physical qubit, and hence this is also a very interesting connection to uh, uh, our main topic, uh, uh, which we address every single episode, which is obviously quantum quantum computing. So this is again a fabulous experiment that that kind of uh, produces results that are are totally counterintuitive. And uh, what I would also like to to to, to say here, right, mm -hmm. is that. Um, like in time, this the original Stern-Gerlach experiment was refined. So we have today like like super super refined versions of this of this experiment. And guess what? Results the same. Of course, yeah. It's we're seeing it eventually. I mean, there there's many others. You you've picked four really good ones, but there are many many other. We keep we keep validating this theory. It's not, it's no longer in question. It doesn't make sense. It, it freaks people out. A lot of people don't like it, but it, it's the, it's reality. It, at the quantum level, at the atomic level, this is how things work. And, um, and there's many other experiments, but what, what some people might say is I, I just want to write a program, um, using the power of quantum. I don't want to deal with I don't want to, I don't want to worry about other stuff. And I don't know that you can do that. I, I haven't met anybody yet that can sit down and, and do something useful with quantum that doesn't understand this, but I'm hoping that someday that's the case because this is a pretty big, uh, this is a pretty big on-ramp. This is a pretty big learning curve to get here. 
I find it very interesting, but I think a lot of people might not. Um, I, I just don't know. I guess we're still too early to know whether you have to know all of this physics to be able to then look at the quantum programming world and actually do something with it. Well, if if you're certainly if you're into building these machines, right? It's, it's oh yeah, it's then you've got a, no choice, must, right? But I I am hundred percent with you. I, I I hope that we will get past this barrier and uh, we will actually that is happening to a certain extent, right? But uh, my my hope is that we'll see a a steep increase in the efficiency of higher level concepts. Well, but that, put that it this way, can be used. I bet there are no algorithms in the zoo in the algorithm zoo written by someone who doesn't have deep understanding of this. Well, at this point, absolutely. I think that's the case. So when we get to the point where someone is kind of like, meh, quantum, yeah, I heard about it. I'm just going to write this program. When we get to that level of abstraction, I just don't know when or if we'll get there. Well, uh, uh, I, I, I fear that we will not get there very, very soon. And that's mostly because if you think about some of the potential applications uh, of of quantum, um, mm-hmm. you need to have a, a, a deep level of understanding so. of some phenomenon, right? Like think about chemistry, material science, things like 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 that. So, well, in I order think... to be able to use it efficiently, you need to have that level of understanding. Yeah, if, so, if you don't understand the parallelism, then then I don't think any of it makes sense. And then. I think that's why we keep, that's why this is an important episode to me is some people might say, well, why do I care? I'm not trying to learn physics. I'm trying to learn quantum programming. I think they're hand in hand. I think you, I think you'll do better the more of this stuff that you try to understand. And, and also what, what, what's important, I think, Patrick, is people hearing about these experiments and understanding how totally counterintuitive they are. I think they can get a better understanding of the challenges that we we we, we face in, in in quantum computing because like the, the natural thinking is oh my gosh so if this is that difficult right if if this is so counterintuitive that it means that building computing on top of this behavior right must be totally different from what we know today mm. as classical computing right. so that's that's also why I think it it helps uh, kind of raise the awareness of the fact that it's not yet another form of computing. It's a fundamentally, it's a radically different way of of approaching computing than classical computing. Agreed. I think we're out of time. Uh, it's been great talking to you about this, and we'll see everybody later. Absolutely. Take care. <laughs>